How's it guys? My name is Mark Haystick and I'm the host of the Birding Life Youth Podcast. This week's guest is not our typical youth guest speaker, but definitely for the youth out there. Today's guest speaker is Andrew DeBlock from BirdLife South Africa. So Andrew, welcome to the Birding Life Youth Podcast. Thanks Mark, uh, thank you for having me on and uh, I dispute the fact that I'm not part of the youth. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm 29, so I, in my books I have uh, a year left before the dreaded 30, but um, yeah, thanks for having me on despite being uh, one of the comparative bullies. Yes, it's a pleasure. It's one of the reasons we had you on today. <laughs> okay. So I watched the recent webinar you did for BirdLife South Africa on the topic of ethical birding, which is actually how I thought of contacting you. Um, but just to get a bit of a background, what part do you run in BirdLife South Africa? So my title at BirdLife is the AV Tourism Project Manager. I'm part of the Empowering People program at BirdLife South Africa. And my job basically is anything to do with AV tourism. So AV tourism is the uh, anything related to birds and tourism or birding and tourism. So AV comes from avian, which is obviously a word for birds. So my different projects that I run include the Community Bird Guide Project, uh, training local people to be professional bird guides. I run our birder-friendly establishment and tour operator networks. So we have affiliated establishments and uh, birding tour operators that we kind of endorse uh, on behalf of birders. Um, I run the provincial birding routes that we have. I administrate the South Africa Listers Club and more broadly I'm, I'm involved in promoting birds and birding uh, in South Africa or, or rather promoting South Africa as an AV tourism destination. So that includes locals who travel to see birds you know on different trips uh, help making sure that they have all the information provided uh, and kind of travel uh, things at hand and also for for foreigners who come to South Africa to see our birds there's a a rather large industry uh, around guided birding tours in South Africa for foreigners because we have this in, incredible diversity we can offer a lot of other important uh, tour ecotourism uh, pools like uh, big mammal watching in, in, in our reserves um, and we also have a huge diversity of birds including you know a lot of endemic birds and in, in, in two endemic families even in the rock jumpers and sugar birds so yeah my, my job is very varied um, I do a lot of different things on a daily basis uh, but it's it's basically anything related to to birds and birding tourism. Now, with all the rarities rocking up, there'll surely be a lot of people traveling out there to see birds, like such as some of the local birds that, or recent birds that have been pitching up in the sub-region, like buff-breasted sandpiper, crested honey buzzard, which is a first for the sub-region, sooty gull, first for the sub-region, and now a possible green warbler on the Cape Peninsula, which is quite crazy. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really cool birds out there within the beginning of this year that I'm sure a whole lot of people will be going out to see. And that, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, is to do with AV tourism. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, AV tourism is anything related to, to birds and tourism and how those two things overlap. Uh, so twitching definitely falls into that. You know, every time someone twitches something, they, they're generally undertaking some kind of travel and usually long distance travel um, for the crazier twitches among us. 
so that definitely falls in the gap. Um, but it's it's certainly not it's not everything that AV tourism is. It encourage uh, incorporates a much wider group of, of, of traveling, but definitely twitching falls into the AV tourism umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And with these crazy birds pitching up, and there's been quite a few in the in the sub region recently. Um, surely with there's a lot of people going out to see them and there's got to be effects with all these twitches going out to see these birds um, within such a a short time frame um, what are some of the the effects of this traveling around the country to go twitching mm, that's a great question so this is part of the reason why we had this webinar that you mentioned at the top of the podcast so We've been running these conservation conversations webinars at BirdLife South Africa since the beginning of Level 5 lockdown last year. We're actually coming up to 50 episodes and if people are not familiar with the webinars, you can actually go back and watch the recordings on our YouTube channel, including this latest one on, on ethical birding. So that the reason we had this uh, discussion in the first place was because there were two really uh, amazing discoveries in the wider Gauteng area. Um, those being streaky breasted flufftails and striped crake at uh, the Homochomo floodplain north of Pretoria. And the, yeah, I mean, there was incredible discoveries with this huge amount of rain that we've had, the whole floodplain filled up, and these, these really rare and also very secretive and sensitive birds uh, were found calling at the edge of the floodplain by some birders. And it, it created a bit of a an ethical conundrum because you know, you release this information to the birding community and with birds that are so highly sought after, you know that there's going to be, you know, tens if not hundreds of people wanting to, to go in and, and find them again. Um, so there's a lot of bird of pressure, but also with such secretive birds, the need to get a visual makes it really destructive for the habitat and also potentially for the birds. Um, people, they were worried about people you know, storming into this wetland, which is a, a very sensitive habitat, you know, creating channels through the grass that disrupt the local ecology, uh, you know, to expose the birds to predators, that kind of thing that are moving in from the surrounding areas. But then also people wanting to flush the birds so they can actually see them because these birds, as you know, having struggled to see a striped flufftail recently, flufftails are really, really difficult to see. Right, so people their their approach then is that they they get impatient and they they basically charge in there or, or do a flush line and who knows if these birds are breeding? Actually, there's there's confirmed breeding of striped crakes um, in that area and they think that streaky breasted flufftails are breeding too. So you're worried about these birders charging in there, disrupting the birds, maybe trampling a nest, um, creating all these effects. So it created this uh, discussion online about why we need to see birds um, and the potential destructive, destructive effects that twitching can have. And uh, this is, the whole discussion came from this, this idea that maybe getting a visual of a bird is not the best thing from a conservation point of view. And, and maybe we should fall in line with a lot of the international listing clubs like the American Birding Association who allow herd-only birds on their lists. Because the birds were calling very strongly next to the road. And if you pitched up, you could hear them uh, uh, very, very well. And if you didn't need to charge in there to get a visual, you could twitch these birds without really having any effect on them whatsoever. And you could still enjoy a major part of the bird, which is its call. Um, instead of, you know, charging in there, maybe getting the slightest little glimpse of movement and then 
and then you can count it for your list, you know. Um, whereas you could just sit back and enjoy the call. So, so we took a decision actually for the South Africa Listers Club, which we should probably talk about um, for those who don't know about it, but uh, we can leave that for a bit later. We took a decision to allow herd-only records on the South Africa Listers Club. And the, the reason for that is that BirdLife South Africa is a conservation organization. And with us being the hosts of this Listers Club, we need to make sure that our initiatives are in line with our principles and our, our goals as an organization. So for us, it was a conservation decision. And we, we're hoping that more and more birders, not only when they're ticking lifers, but when they're out doing general birding, will be more aware of the impacts that they might have on the birds that they um, are out there to enjoy. Yeah, no, I think it's quite a big step, um, but a, quite, a, quite a decent decision um, with you know, the background where you're coming from um, to, because it's for a cause. Um, but yeah, many people go to Twitch. Um, well, obviously they do it for the list and you, know, you want to get that bird seen to make sure that you can tick it off on the list. So yeah no um it's quite a big step but i think it's it's a pretty pretty um pretty good step in the right direction if i can say it that way now when twitching how can people contribute to conservation and not just make it about leisure like a trip that you go enjoy yourself and you see the bird and oh yeah let's go home now yeah it's a very good question um i think a lot of twitchers have the wrong attitude uh, in that respect uh, it's all about just getting the one bird and then, then going home and calling it a success. But with you traveling to see birds, there are you know a number of things you need to consider with, with regards to conservation. So, so one of the things that you need to consider when you're out twitching is your effect on the environment. And uh, one of the intangible ways in which people do affect the environment is through their carbon footprint. Now, if people are catching planes or taking cars down to... To see a bird, there's an obvious effect there in terms of the, the carbon that you're producing. Um, so there's some simple ways that you can reduce that. I'm not saying that no one should ever go twitching. You know, it is it is also supporting local uh, economies if you do do it the right way in terms of you know paying local guides to to take you out, supporting the local tourism economies through uh, staying a night at an establishment, things like that. But you can also, you know, carpool down with some friends. Um, it's actually one of the best parts of twitching for me is uh, once a rare bird rocks up, you you head onto the WhatsApp groups and, and grab a couple of mates and organize a, a trip, you know, road trip, which is uh, sometimes the most fun parts about twitching are the conversations you have on the way there and on the way back and not necessarily even seeing the bird. So that's, that's a one way that you can increase your enjoyment of the trip, but also reduce your carbon footprint. Um, and you can consider maybe tying in uh, some wider birding in the area, so making the trip a bit more worth it, spending more time. Um, so kind of spreading out your carbon footprint that way. Um, or you can contribute to conservation in other ways that are not related to your carbon footprint, like making sure that you submit uh, an Atlas card for the area that you're visiting, making sure that you are making your birding count for conservation and that the data you're collecting are, are contributing to decision-making tools for groups like BirdLife South Africa who, who use the Southern African Bird Atlas project extensively in our work in terms of prioritizing which areas and species to work on. 
So that's another way that you can creatively kind of offset your impact and make sure that your twitching contributes to conservation as well as your your own leisure. Okay, that's very cool to know. Um, flip and interesting actually, but um, but with platforms like Bird Lasser and with more birders out there, I think competitive birding is becoming a bit more of a thing over time. So, what are some of the like the the pros and cons of competitive birding? Yeah, another really really good question, Mark. So. Competitive birding can can go both ways. It's a bit of a double-edged sword in that it gets a lot of people very excited about birds and birding. You know, when you're in a competition, it adds a an extra edge to the experience and you, you're going areas you wouldn't otherwise to get these very kind of extra limital birds on your lists. Um, you you have some banter and create some gears with your mates around competing with each other. And that, that all adds a whole like level of enjoyment to your birding. And that's great. Um, and the, the one of the best things about competitive birding is that it, people can use it as an excuse to go out and enjoy South Africa's birds, which I'm all for. So from that point of view, competitive birding is great. It teaches us about the birds in our local areas and uh, also uh, can contribute to conservation if people are keeping their records on, on Atlas cards and things like that. So there's a lot of good to be said about competitive birding. But... On the flip side, there's also some things that are not so great about competitive birding. I think the worst thing about it is that it, it drives very competitive people to do silly things that might be destructive or damaging to birds and their habitats. So you, you hear stories of people really pressuring birds at little sites because maybe it's the only area in, for example, the wider Cape Town that you can get a cinnamon-breasted warbler, for instance. So people will go to one site and absolutely overwhelm the birds there with playback and walk into their habitats and disturb them and, and all of that. So from that perspective, competitive birding can be negative. Uh, it also, I think for some people, it becomes a bit, it overwhelms the natural enjoyment that people get from birds. Without competition, I think a lot of us would fall back to a birding mode that is very much about just going out locally, discovering what's around, exploring new areas, observing birds and their behavior, uh, really just appreciating birds for the beautiful and fascinating creatures that they are. Whereas comp competitive birding really drives you towards the list. You know, it's very list oriented and, and all you care about is getting the tick and then you move on and you, you miss out on, you know, experiencing the birds properly along the way. So it's certainly something I've found myself caught up in on occasion and it's it's good to remind yourself why most of us got into birding in the first place. You know, it wasn't to to compete with other birders and grow your huge list and whatever. Certainly that becomes more of a motivation the more you get into birding and the more birds you see. But I think at the core of it we really want to celebrate, you know, birds for what they are and just appreciate birds in their habitats and conserve birds and have that kind of raw connection with birds that I think sometimes, sometimes, yeah, you know what I mean? Competitive birding sometimes takes that away from us a bit. Yeah, no, most definitely. I, I see what you're saying. And actually, um, I had a very similar situation last year um, that I can relate to. Um, last year, um, I was like pushing myself to do well and actually try to win 
the 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 garden roots and clan crew competition you know i didn't have much chance i knew i had that at the back of my head but you know i really wanted to push myself and i knew that this year the year afterwards would be um would be matric for me which is this year now so i thought let me just give it my best shot you know i'm gonna try win this thing get my numbers up tick off as many as i can you know afternoons that i don't have homework get out there weekends ask my friend who's who has a who has a license to drive me around you know so i really i really gave it stick um but end of year came and this year began i came into matric and as soon as i came into matric you know birding competitions come last got to focus on my work um and so i realized that last year i actually lost my enthusiasm for for just going out out birding because I realized that the reason I went out birding so much was for the list and not for the simple enjoyment of witnessing birds go about their life. And I think that that is what birding should be about. Um, and list, well, yeah, competitiveness should be just at least 50% balanced with that. So what I thought to myself was, you know, I need to, I feel like I should be going out more and and be enthusiastic about not not trying to get the next tick but enthusiastic about seeing that bird again and go back to the original stage of when I first started birding which was when I was I didn't even know what a life list was for the first year of my birding and so what I was actually going out for was to see that new bird again to witness this species my eyes have never experienced before and it's it's a feeling every new birdie gets and that feeling becomes less and less as you grow your life list because less and less birds are are new for your list so i didn't get that excitement from the new tick i actually got it from seeing the birds and i think every bird went through that stage and is going through that stage but it became less and less as my life list grew so i want to go back to that stage where i enjoy the bird for what it is and not see it as a tick as much as I am now so my target for this year is to obviously balance my schoolwork but balance my balance the competitive side of things and the appreciative side of birding as well so that it's at least 50 50 and um, I'd actually say in my personal opinion that um, the appreciative side of birding should be more than 50 percent so yeah, I think I I definitely agree. Yeah, it, it's it's sad when birders lose the original love for birds that that drove them to this hobby in the first place, and I do see it happening with some people. Um, a lot of the the top competitive birders do manage to balance this out, and I think that's important that we don't just say competitive birding is bad and it's gonna you know you're gonna lose your touch with the birds. But I think every now and again, each of us needs a little reminder about exactly why we fell in love with birds in the first place you know so it's great that we can just uh, celebrate birds and and all the different ways that we can enjoy birds whether that's whether that is a a competition side of things whether it's growing your list whether it's the more natural history point of view and observing birds and their behavior or photographing birds or showing your friends birds a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment out of showing other people birds and and seeing the joy they get out of discovering birds and that so there's lots of different ways to to enjoy birds but it's important to make sure that there is a balance and that the birds are always first you know it's not people putting their lists above the welfare of birds and their habitats you know we always need to remember 
that the, the reason we're into birds is the birds themselves. Wow, what a great podcast so far. If you've enjoyed part one of Mark's interview with Andrew, please be sure to listen out for next week's episode. We will be covering part two of Mark's interview with Andrew. Please be sure to follow us on all social media platforms and on your preferred podcast player. Until next time, happy birding. Mm-hmm.